Well, the Queen's entrance, it's always quite a show. Uh, the members of Parliament are squeezing into their respective seats in the House of Commons and the House of Lords, while the Queen and her husband gets into their royal robes. Uh, an MP is actually taken hostage to ensure the safe return of the sovereign. Uh, the monarch arrives at Parliament in their state coach with a whole procession of military guards, horses, cars, music, and then walks in, takes her seat on the throne in the House of Lords. It's laden with precious silver and gold. It's stunning. Her robes are stunning. The state coach is gleaming. Uh, the usher of the black rod goes and summons the MPs from the House of Commons. And eventually, all the members squeeze into the House of Lords and the Queen delivers her speech from the throne. This is the state opening of Parliament in England. It's quite the spectacle. It is quite the royal entrance. It points to how great the monarch is. Uh, you can't miss her. Uh, but in terms of ceremony, there can be even more. Uh, different jubilees and celebrations. There are even cannons. There are boat processions down the River Thames. There's more music lasting a whole week. It's a big party. It's quite the occasion. Now, today, we are going to see a royal entrance. But it's a bit different to this. It's nothing like we've seen before. It's nothing like we've seen again. Today we'll see the entrance of the rightful king into Jerusalem. But instead of showing off his riches, wealth, power or victory, his entrance shows us his humility, his compassion and his gentleness and ultimately his peace. So here's where we're headed today. We'll see peace demonstrated, peace declared, and peace denied. So firstly, peace demonstrated. Uh, Jesus has been speaking about his return and the need to await faithfully and to use our gifts for his glory. And now he enters in, in, into Jerusalem as the rightful king, and in fact, the king of the whole world. So look with me at verse 28 of chapter 19 in Luke. So verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you'll find a colt there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, say, the Lord needs it. Now, in the Gospel of Luke, the city of Jerusalem is exceedingly significant. The vast majority of the direction of the gospel is headed towards Jerusalem. It's been set on Jesus approaching and entering Jerusalem. The gospel of Luke uh, begins with Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus visits the temple in Jerusalem two times as a child. And Luke states six times throughout the book that Jesus was traveling to this city. It is significant. But why is it significant? Well, it's the capital of the Jewish religion. It's the largest and most significant city in Israel at the time of Jesus. This is where the temple was. This is where the kings lived. This is the heart of the nation. You just can't really overstate how important it was. So, all of Luke has been heading towards this moment. Jerusalem is the most significant city. 
Now the two come crashing together. Uh, Jesus comes up onto the Mount of Olives outside of the city. Now, this isn't just a random mountain, though. Uh, We've seen this mountain before in the Old Testament, specifically in the book of Zechariah. Uh, Zechariah prophesied, and we can read this in chapter 14, that the Lord, that Yahweh, will come from the Mount of Olives on the day of the Lord. The time is approaching, and Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is Yahweh in flesh. The prophecies are being fulfilled. So how will Jesus enter? Will there be a military band? Uh, Will he come in behind a chariot, behind great, powerful and majestic war horses? No, there will be none of that. He tells his disciples to find a donkey, a colt, a young one at that, which no one has ever ridden. See, the donkey is an animal of peace, not of war, an animal of lowliness not of exuberance, an animal of gentleness, not of rage. And one which has never been ridden before is fit for a king. But also, once again, this is fulfillment of the prophecy from Zechariah, which says in chapter 9, verse 9, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. See, the selection of animal wasn't just a random, uh, I'll pick that one. (laughs) No, it was a very purposeful selection from Jesus. Jesus knows what's ahead. He's in complete control here. It's coordinated. It makes a statement. It states that Jesus demonstrates peace, that Jesus fulfills the prophecies, that Jesus is the rightful king of the kingdom. And as we've seen already in this series in the past nine weeks and already in these verses, that Jesus is a king like no other. He is the king that creation has been waiting for ever since the fall. He is a humble king, gentle and forgiving king. He's a king who just a few days after this entrance will lay down his life for us. And we're not just his lowly subjects. No, we're his beloved children. We are his friends. So the disciples go ahead. They find the donkey, just as Jesus told them, and brought it to them. This is all according to plan. This entrance is purposeful, significant. It wasn't just by chance. It shows off the type of king that Jesus is. He demonstrates peace. So how will people react to this? Uh, Well, in 1952, uh, John Cage's composition, uh, 4 minutes, 33 seconds, premiered. Now, this is a very interesting piece. What What happens is that the pianist walks on stage, closes the lid to the piano, started his stopwatch, and then put his hands in his laps for a period of time. He did this for two times more. Uh, This piece of music is actually four minutes and 33 seconds of silence. Now, as you can probably imagine, uh, the audience had no idea what was happening. People started leaving, and whatever audience remained at the end just kind of collapsed politely and awkwardly. (laughs) But the reviews afterwards labelled Cage as pretentious and as a sham. Uh, 
But in reality, this piece of music launched a whole wave of modern art and music. It was new. It was revolutionary. Uh, Some people loved it. Some people really hated it and still do. Now, Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem was something new. It was revolutionary. Nobody's seen anything like this before. But some people had a clear understanding of what was happening and praised him and declared him to be king. And others told Jesus to silence the crowd. So they put Jesus on a donkey. They put their cloaks on him to sit on. uh, And they lay the cloaks before him along the way. This is just a sign of humility and submission to Jesus. They enthrone him on a donkey, on an animal of lowliness. And they give up what they have for him. So now they're coming down the road down into Jerusalem off the mountain. Uh, imagine walking down the range down into Withcott, uh, but maybe a little bit of a shorter distance. So they begin to walk. They begin to process. And then the disciples begin to praise God. Look with me at verse 37. Uh, when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. See, they see who Jesus is and they praise God because they have seen God at work. They have seen him at work through the miracles. Now, the miracles are a sign. They point to who Jesus is. They point to the type of authority that Jesus has. Uh, They point to the significance of the kingdom. They point to what type of king Jesus actually is. And the disciples saw this and launched into a chorus of praise. Uh, This is what happens when people see Jesus and his power clearly. It should cause us to launch into a cacophony of a chorus of praise. But what the crowds here may not realize is actually that the greatest miracle is to come. Jesus may have uh, healed the blind, the sick, and even raised the dead. But all those were temporary fixes. Uh, Those people eventually died. But soon, Jesus is going to secure an eternal healing one which endures forever, one which brings eternal peace. In just a few days, he's going to defeat Satan and evil and sin by his death. And then he's going to defeat death itself by his mighty resurrection. The best is yet to come. But back to the crowds, what is it that they sing? Well, they sing, blessed or praise to the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, This is actually a quote from Psalm 118. Uh, This is one of the psalms which were chanted during the various feasts and festivals uh, of the Jewish religion. Uh, It became part of the common vernacular, part of the common liturgy. And Psalm 118 speaks about the salvation of God and calls on God to save his people because of his steadfast love. Uh, It's almost as if the crowds are saying that Jesus is this king who is coming in the name of the Lord to save them that Jesus is their saving king, that Jesus is the Messiah. And then they also begin to sing, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. See, Jesus not only brings salvation on earth, but peace in heaven. This means that the powers of darkness, the agents of Satan and the evil one himself, 
are going to be arrested and will no longer have any say. There will be a complete holistic peace. And this peace is going to endure forever and evermore. See, Jesus is not the only one who demonstrates peace. He's the one who brings everlasting peace. Did the crowds really have a full understanding of what they were saying and in what way Jesus was going to fulfill it? Maybe, maybe not. But they did declare that Jesus is the peace bringer. Off the back of a crazy end to a crazy year and a crazy beginning of this year and Easter is just around the corner, I wonder if you would like a bit of peace. It may seem too good to be true. Well, it's on offer today. It it may look a bit different to what the world thinks of peace. It may not mean that life is going to get suddenly easy and we'll have health and wealth forever. But it does mean that we can actually rest in the ultimate peace, that through Jesus we have peace with God. That through Jesus we've been reconciled to the Father. There is no longer any amnesty or hostility between us and him. There is no more wrath because Jesus took that all upon himself upon the cross for us. And because of this, even in our most unpeaceful moments, God is with us by his Spirit. He won't abandon us. He won't leave us in our struggles. But he is with us every step of the way. And so it is because of this that we can join in the chorus of the crowds, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But they weren't the only ones crying out. The Pharisees were there and told Jesus to rebuke his disciples. That is, to tell them off, to give them a rap over the knuckles. But Jesus is going to none of the sort. Uh, The religious leaders, they denied the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. And all that will lead to nothing short of disastrous consequences. Peace is denied. But does Jesus want these consequences to come? Is he seeking revenge of some sort? No, nothing like that. Jesus doesn't want people to reject his love. And in fact, when people do, it grieves him. So Jesus draws near to the city. He can see it laid out in front of him. Uh, This is the city that was the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The city for his beloved people who rescued time and time again and rescued out of Egypt. These are the people that were to be a light to lighten the Gentiles. These was the city which had the temple where people were to come and pray and worship God and offer sacrifices. But this is the city that won't recognize Jesus as king, which will bring judgment. And it causes Jesus grief. Causes Jesus to weep. To weep aloud. Verse 41, look with me. 
As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, have only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. See, Jesus loves his people. He has great compassion for his people. But he knows what's ahead for them and so he weeps. Judgment is coming because they didn't recognize their Lord. They didn't recognize Yahweh in flesh coming to them. And just about 40 years later after this, what Jesus said that would happen, well, it happened. The Romans hemmed in the city with a wall. There was famine within the walls. Really disastrous things happened. There was famine. And eventually the Romans came in and slaughtered them. This is harrowing. This is sickening. There is no peace whatsoever. And this causes our great, compassionate, humble and gracious king to weep. For the opportunity to turn and repent was always there. The opportunity for peace was always there on offer, but their hearts were hardened. Their minds were calloused over. They couldn't see Jesus, the King. And friends, this is also a loving warning for us today. Peace with God has been freely offered to us through Jesus. We have every opportunity to turn to him. He has made it incredibly clear, completely final and utterly free. We can turn to him. We can repent of all our sins and believe in him. And this eternal peace is assured. It is given. But when someone hears the gospel but holds back and doesn't repent, then there will be judgment. And it causes our Lord grief. It causes me grief. I wonder, does it cause you grief? Passages like this should continually prompt us into checking ourselves as to who we live as, as with King. But it also should drive us into mission. Into telling others about Jesus. Uh, this will look different on every single one of our front lines. This will be hard. It may even be awkward at some point. But we are talking about, and I know this is old-fashioned, we are talking about the salvation of people's souls for eternity. That is why in Vision 2025, prayerfully and totally reliant on God, we are embracing digital to preach the gospel by whatever means necessary. That's why we're seeking to plant. Statistics show that a church plant is one of the most effective ways of bringing people to Christ for the first time. That is why we are growing maturity to raise up more people for the work of gospel ministry. 
for the work of leadership because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. This is why we are extending our reach as a parish to break down any barriers so that people from every tribe and every nation, every generation, with every ability or disability can hear the gospel. This is why we are improving our footprint to use our facilities to use and steward the gifts that God has given us so that the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection may be proclaimed in all its beauty and glory, not just for five years, but for 20, 50, 100 years more. And friends, we are all called to this mission. Because Jesus is our king. He is the king who comes in peace. But he is the king who will come again to judge the living and the dead. And he is the king who has secured us our salvation. So we don't have to fear judgment. We don't have to fear death, but we can live in peace and go and tell others about the great peace that we have with God because of Jesus as our King. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you offer us peace that you love us so much that you sent your one and only son to die for us so that we can have eternal life. Lord God, in our unpeaceful moments, in our stressful moments, in our tired moments, in our lonely moments, Lord, help us to remember your love. Assure us of your peace. Assure us of your presence daily. Gracious Lord, please give us a heart for the lost. Give us the same heart and mind and compassion of Jesus that we may grieve for the lost, but that we may love them enough to tell them the great news of the gospel. We pray that people all throughout Toowoomba and all throughout southern Queensland may come to repentance and belief in your name, that continually disciples will be made and matured for your glory forevermore. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our peaceful King. Amen.